It's good to be with you. Um, and I am, I've been looking forward to this particular series for a while now. We just concluded our uh, children's church focus on Bible heroes. We've learned some really important lessons. But now we're getting into my favorite book of the New Testament. Or, or let me put it this way. It's my favorite epistle of the New Testament. Because my favorite book is the book of John. And, and Revelation doesn't fall far behind that one. But my favorite epistle that Paul has penned is the letter to the Ephesians. So this morning, I, I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we are going to spend some time here. Um, if you have not noticed, the style that I like to preach is basically, there's the Bible, and we're going to dive into the verses that we find there. And I will bring to you some hopefully something new, or remind you of something you may have forgotten, or reiterate a point that you know is true or that should be applied to our lives. So before I dive into, into this, I'd like to invite you to pray with me one more time. Father God, as we are about to open and have opened your word to the book of Ephesians and, and to read from it the letter that was penned by Paul. We pray that your spirit will lead us, that you will enable us, that you will help us to see our value, our calling, and the promises as a result of your goodness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote one of the longest sentences in the entire New Testament? In Greek, not in English, in Greek. And this is it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, when you look at the original manuscript for which you find this, and we're going to spend time in all of that. We're going to spend time in, in verses 3 to 14 today, but this was an entire sentence. This would have failed any literature you know, courses, I was great at run-on sentences. I was so good at it that at the beginning of English class, there was, we had a teacher, this was before, this is my freshman year, and she came and she said, you all begin with an A. You all will begin with an A. In other words, it was up to me to end with it. I didn't, for various reasons I won't get into. But here we see Paul, he begins this letter. I mean, if you open up, you have your Bibles open to the book of Ephesians. Um, 
He begins the greeting to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from our God, Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very typical Pauline greetings. But now he starts. So let's read. If you, we're not going to read from the screen because that's too little, too small. But I'm going to read from, from my Bible, which is the same translation that you have from the screen. It says, Blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us from every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted and beloved. That was a long sentence. But Paul didn't have that period there. It was inserted in translation. He continues, In him we have redemptions through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which is... He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And all the people said, Amen. how many of you did not understand a word that this was saying? Now, let's be honest. There's a lot in here, right? Lots of run-on sentences, theoretically speaking, because there was actually, if you counted, there was only three periods in that entire 14 verses. Lots of commas. Paul is an extremely, sometimes, difficult person to understand. But let's break this down to you. See, in Hebrew literature, and, and Paul didn't fall far from that because he was a Jew, Though he wrote in Greek, he was a scholar. And usually, they present what we call in military terms, bluff. Brief line up front. This wasn't brief. But it is. When you start to peel the onion layers out of this verse, and you begin to dive into it, there are three things that we need to be aware. First, he talks about the Father. The Father is the person whom all things have been done. Wait, wait a minute. Didn't we just read it was in him? In him, does that mean you? Hold that thought. I will, 
I'll get there. But John Stott, a famous theologian, wrote this in his commentary on the book of Ephesians. His initiative is set forth plainly, for he is himself the subject of almost every main verb in these verses. Now, I am not an, an English major, nor will I pretend to be, nor do I claim to be very good at literature. English is my second language. However, when we read this chapter, we notice that all of the primary verbs, the main verbs, they're always associated with the Father and not Jesus. How many of you have ever heard of that argument? I like the God of the New Testament in compared to the old one. Well, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, remember, the Ephesians are, are, is a church we see clearly in the book of Revelation, but it's a church made up of new converts. And new converts began as Jewish individuals who converted or they were some of some other religion and came into the church because of the testimony of the Ephesians. So Paul is making very clear the God who is in charge, the God who has made everything happen is the Father. How do I know this? Let's look at these, these words. Blessed us, verse 3. He chose us. He predestined us. Whoa, hold on. Well, I'm going to come back to this one. This is, this is my favorite. He freely gave his son to us. Are there any verses in your, in, that come to your mind when you see this? He blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. He freely gave his son, but wait, I'm not done. He made known to us the mystery of his will. How many of you have ever asked God, show me what is your will for my life? I will tell you this right now. He's got the same will for each and every single one of us here in this room today. And you know what that will is? That we all go to heaven. That is his will. First and foremost, that is his will. If there is a common thread from these, verse, these verbs that we see, he, first of all, he blessed us. How? He created us. We were created in his image. Then he chose us. He gave, he revealed his plan for us. He predestined us. He chose. Same thing. Freely gave himself, his, his son. What comes to your mind? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right? He made known us the mystery. The mystery usually when Paul writes the word mystery, he is referring to the mystery of how God came to this earth through Jesus. How his love became incarnate in this world in human form. And lastly, verse 10, he will bring his plan of com to completion in the fullness of time. We'll talk a little bit about this here. But Paul is 
kind of starting to paint with broad strokes by describing that every good thing that happens to us comes from the Father. Everything that we associate with comes and is initiated from the Father. Well, what about Jesus? Let's get to him. Peter O'Brien, another theologian, writes this. He says, the sphere for which the divine blessing is given and received. So it started with the Father, and Jesus is the vehicle, so to speak, for which the means these blessings come forth. You tracking? We, we, are we together? Jesus is the one whom all of these come forth. How do I know this? Because when you read this, in, just here in, in verses 3 through 14, we have this pattern. In Christ, in whom, in him, occurs 15 times just in these 11 verses. All of this is to point us and to have the understanding that though God planned for all of this and initiated and took the initiative to make this into a reality, it was through Jesus that has made us all, all this possible. But then we also read about the Spirit, right? The Spirit talks to us here in verses 13 through 14. It says, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You see, brief line up front. As I told you, this was the very first sentence of the entire book. It was a long one in Greek. But for you who have chosen Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit at baptism. You are sealed for salvation. And if you did not, if, if that hasn't sunk into you what that means, spend a little bit more time on this. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. What he, he, hasn't, he doesn't take a stamp and pull, hey, sealed on your forehead. What he does do is that he seals your decision, and because of the decision that you've made, you get an A. This is a hard crowd. You get an A, not an A for effort. Because we're going to talk about this right now. You, you get an A because of whom you've chosen. You get an A because you, um, in whom you believe. So here's the broad scope of chapter one it highlights the father that through jesus all the gifts that got initiated with the father have become a reality and the holy spirit has sealed you for all eternity that's what this is saying it's not pastor art oh pastor art oh you're talking about that once saved always saved no that's not what i said at all why? Because when we look at the context, this chapter 1 talks about past, present, and future. Right? 
Well, how do we know that? Let's, let's dive in. Past. God predestined us to salvation. Verses 4 and 5. He predestines us to salvation because of the plan of redemption. That was established before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Past tense. Before Adam and Eve were created, there was a plan in place in case Art Preuss decided to do some knucklehead things. Before anything was ever done, before Adam and Eve were created, before Adam and Eve even sinned, there was a plan in place that predestined them to salvation. Does that mean that they're going to get saved? No, that's not what it means at all. To be predestined is to start a class off with an A. Right? We got two teachers, at least three teachers here. If you start off with an A, it is your responsibility to keep it. And that was Adam's responsibility, which he failed. However, because he predestined everyone who would come after Adam and Eve, we have the option to receive that A. How? You need to accept it by faith. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you, you can say, hey, uh, how many pages do I have to read? What tests do I have to take? How, many, how much money do I have to give? First of all, this is an acceptance by faith. You must accept that God has saved you by faith, point blank. That's what predestined is. It's not some arbitrary decision that takes place in heaven that seals you. It doesn't matter what you do, that you will, you will be chosen to go to heaven or not. That takes away free will, and that is not what Jesus is about. That's not what God is about. He has given us the option to choose to eventually be saved or to, or not. That's what predestined is. But that's, this is condition number one. We must believe and accept it by faith. Number two, it must be viewed primarily in terms of service rather than privilege. This is where it gets different. I grew up hearing that as Seventh-day Adventists, we are God's chosen church. Some of you may have heard that before. Some of you, some of you may have been preached to in that manner also. I will not deny that I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist church is God's last day vessel for this end times. But it's in the context of service rather than privilege. It is in the context that we have something to do, we have something to offer, is that we have something to give rather than be. We are no more special than the person who's worshiping here next tomorrow. We have a privilege 
in this privilege is to serve. How do I know this? Because of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20 says, says this, Yet it shall not be among you. This is Jesus saying, But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what? Servant. In the, context, in the context of this, Jesus isn't saying, let, me be, let him be your hired hand. Where you, there's a quid pro quo kind of a thing, where you go and you, you, and you render services and you are paid for it. Jesus is saying here, let him be the one who says, okay, what do you need? And I will do that for you because... You need it. It means to subjugate yourself to, the, to somebody else. But he continues, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. You see, we are... In the context of end times, in our theological, eschatological, it's a big word for meaning end times, soteriological, it's another big word for means a doctrine of salvation, how we believe all of this, and it will come into fruition as Seventh-day Adventists, is that we have a mission rather than a status. Because Jesus didn't come to be crowned. Jesus came to die. And very often, when we are given the option to serve, we, don't, we choose not to serve because there are times we want the recognition. There are times that we think, eh, somebody else will do it. There are times that we allow the responsibility of service and the privilege of service. Ah, I'm too tired. Now let, me, let, let me even take this far a little bit. Jesus himself said that when his disciples said, hey, can I go and say bye to my family? Jesus said, Sure, but don't expect me to wait. There are times when service and the service of God requires the sacrifice of family. It's not Pastor Art saying this. It's not because I am asking you to go beyond, but there are times where we have to serve and we have to sacrifice our families. Read the gospel. See if Jesus didn't sacrifice his family. See if Jesus encouraged. Now, please don't take this to the extreme. Oh, Pastor Art is telling us to forsake everyone around us 
for the sake of the gospel. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we need to be mindful of the responsibility that has been entrusted in us as a result of our calling, as a result of whom we believe. Why? Because of the present. The present context in the book of Ephesians talks about three things. Go back to it. Three things Paul talks about. One is adoption. As a result of him choosing you, the moment you choose Christ, you are now called sons and daughters of the king. When you become entrusted with that title, you also have the responsibility to serve the kingdom. And I'm not talking about the church. The service of a king is for all people. I'm almost done. When we are called to service, it is not just to our church. It is to serve our community. It is to serve and to bring the tidings of of great joy to those who have not had the opportunity to do so. Because we were chosen, and as a result of that choice, of that predestination, the adoption has taken place as a result of the, the cross. As a result of that cross, once we, have been, once we claim our adoption, we are redeemed. Because our sins have been paid for in full. And we receive forgiveness of our sins. It's in that order. You are chosen. You have been adopted because you chose Christ. You have been saved because of your belief in Jesus. And as a result, you are forgiven. You don't get forgiveness before you are, cho- before you are saved. You get forgiveness in case you mess up after you've chosen to be saved. Well, pastor, that's borderline heresy. Okay. Since you've chosen Jesus, have you sinned? I have. I'm not perfect. I need that forgiveness because I've been adopted, because I've been saved through Jesus on the cross. And if we think that we need to ask for forgiveness in order to, ask, to, to be saved, no, you are saved, you are forgiven because you are saved. Because you've chosen Christ. Because you've chosen to live by his standard. That's why you start off with an A. And the, how about the future? Well, the future is because though we have chosen salvation, man, we are still in this world. We are still here. And we are susceptible to everything that comes along with it. Trials, temptations, headaches, disappointments, frustrations, all of these things 
happen even after the fact that you have claimed Jesus as your personal Savior. Nobody here will ever go through life after choosing Jesus and not have suffered a trial. Nobody. And when we go through these trials, we may get discouraged. And we may feel like everything was done in vain and we say, ah, forget this. But then we're reminded of the gift of the cross. Because the future component hasn't happened yet. Then, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him. This is the future. The future isn't about what's going to happen tomorrow. Come on up. The future is about what's going to happen when he comes. The future is about what that verse is saying in verse 10. The fullness of time when everything is said and done and we become saved. That is the goal that we are looking forward to. This is the choice that we have. This is the culmination. This is the end of year exam, so to speak, if I want to continue that metaphor. This is when the A is culminated. You see, oh, oh pastor, what about I've fallen along the way? I'm going to get that to you, Daddy. Thank you. What if I fall on along the way? What if I've done something that my A now dropped down to a B? Or what if I've gone to such a, a despair, disparity that I, I would be given an F? Did you choose Jesus? Remember, when you chose Jesus and you accepted it in faith, you still have the A. You still have the A. You still have salvation on your side because it is harder to be lost than it is to be saved. You have to earn hell but you can choose heaven. Amen. Well, pastor, what, do I, what about principles and what about all these different things that we have to do to be good? Let the Spirit guide you. Allow the Spirit to flow through you. But those, those are consequences of your choice. In the same way that when you choose Jesus as your personal Savior, you choose to be baptized because you want to follow him. The choice when you fall is to accept the gift. 
and you'll receive forgiveness because you've been saved. Well, what if I haven't been saved? What if I haven't chosen Jesus yet, but I want to? All you have to do is just confess. Say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior right now in my heart. And by doing so, you're claiming God's predestined will for your life. You have all been predestined for salvation. You have all been given the opportunity to be saved, to live in heaven. To Man, I can't wait for this day. I wish that we all could have the expression that this little girl has. If you haven't taken the time to look at this picture, what does she do? She jumps on her daddy. And she's like, Jesus is here. Are you able to have that kind of expression right now? Have you thought about the second coming? Have you thought about how God desires to be with you for all eternity? And do you desire, do you have that same desire? That is the essence of the book of Ephesians. Brief line up front. A 11 verse long sentence that culminates in God's desire to have you with him. Amen. You see, the rest of Ephesians are the details. We'll get into that coming up next. But this morning, I want to appeal to you that if you have not paused to think about all the blessings that come from God, if you have not paused to think about how you still have an A, as long as you choose to claim it, as long as you choose to grab onto that and accept it by faith, that no matter what you have done, no matter how low you may, you may have gone, you still have an A, as long as you accept it by faith. And what comes after that is your service not because you have to, but because of gratitude. Amen. But because you love the one who saved you. Mm. May God bless you. And may you hold on to that aid.